You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. On this week's show, we have Aidan Killian. Aidan started off his life as an investment banker, but then 12 years ago, he changed his roles and became a comedian. He's been traveling all over the world, running shows and comedy clubs. But today, we have a different story. A man stranded in Europe. I let him tell his story. Aidan, welcome to the show. Hey Joe, how you doing? I'm pretty good, thanks. We're having a homeschooling here. There's a, a split of the day, especially with the kids that have to be at home because of lockdown. And so these times can be testing for all of us. Now, um, and that's why we asked you on today. You want to um, homeschool me? <laughs> homeschool you, yeah. Yeah, we want to give you give you a lesson in homeschooling. Good, I could do with a few lessons, all right. I missed, missed too many of them. Well, where, are you, where are you from originally? I'm from Dublin. I'm from Dublin. Uh, Rathfarnham is where I grew up, but I lived in Mount Marion in, um, with my grandmother for many years. Uh, but I've moved all over. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. Sure, I'm a man, man of the world. Man of, um, what made you get into comedy? I did, uh, I, was a, I did business, ended up being an investment banker in Tokyo. And did that for a few years, made some money, bought some properties, bought some stuff. And I realized, what am I doing? What do I want all this stuff for? So um, I did stand-up comedy as a hobby just to to have better presentation skills because I thought it'd be cool to be able to make people laugh and not to be worried. This is what you can homeschool your kids. The Irish are always worried about what people think of them. That's why we're in this mess today. Everyone's afraid, oh, in case the neighbor sees me. We're always so terrified what someone else thinks. And I think that's because of the, the lack of proper education to teach someone how to have the courage to stand up and express yourself clearly. Because I used to, I was an investment banker. I was a black belt in karate. I was a confident 28-year-old man, but I could not, for the life of me, stand up in front of four people and say a sentence without blushing like a fool. So I wanted to overcome that fear, Joe, and stand-up what? comedy just for the challenge. Fell in love with it and started doing stand-up comedy and I've done it all over the world for the last 12 years until COVID regulations ended my career, killed all comedy. There's no more laughter allowed. Regulations has wiped it off the face of the earth. <laughs> Comedians are all on Twitter now attacking each other. No belly laughing anymore. There's, it's not allowed. No fun. No, You're not allowed fun. No hugging, no touching, no laughing, uh, no visiting your family. And if you even dare kiss a stranger, no way. Anything to do that you enjoy, it won't be allowed. The twitching, the twitching of the curtains, the twitching of the curtains on it. Did you then just kind of go, right, I'm a, an investment banker. I'm working in Tokyo. You went to do this sort of to boost your confidence. When did you kind of draw that line and go, now I'm just going to do stand-up? Like I call it crossing that Rubicon. I had an issue uh, not without going into it too much, I had an issue with uh, the man who claimed to be my boss in the bank. I was offered a big trader role in Hong Kong and he blocked my move, even though I'd fulfilled every level of my contract. And they wanted me to stay a few more months and I would have lost the job because of it. And out of sort of self-respect and dignity, or maybe stubbornness, depending on which way you looked at it, I said no. So I packed my bag that day and left. And that was the end of that. And then I went traveling, came back to Ireland and started doing comedy for free uh, because I wasn't good enough to get paid back then. And I just loved it. And if you love doing something, it's not work. And I wasn't very good either, Joe. I was rubbish. You know, I was mediocre at best. Uh, But after like about the fourth year, I became, we'll say, of some level of competence 
and I did a show. It's online. You can check it out. I had long hair back then. I wasn't bald. I had long. I was gorgeous looking. All the women loved me, even though I was too dumb to know. But anyway, uh, the take the, the red pill was that show, and it was about the banking corruption. You know, I understood the banking. So, but take the red pill. The first ten minutes are just silly jokes, but after that, it gets good. And then from then, I just kept doing it. I do an Edinburgh Fringe Festival every year. I'd go there with a new show, Jesus versus Buddha. I did one on religion, or I did one on um, the whistleblowers, Julian Assange. For me, it's not just about comedy. It's about being able to express your truth, whatever that is for you, and do it through the art form of comedy. So if I want, I wanted to compare Jesus and Buddha and show that they're met. Well, it wasn't my intention at the time, but it ended up being, as I studied it, that their message was the same because there is only one truth. Truth resonates with all of us. You know that which isn't true in you is still is true in me, and that's what we uh, what we found with that show. Which you can check it out yourselves. We're working on that show and sort of going into, you know, realizing that there is all one, you know, everything you can call it, God, Jesus, source, the kitchen table, whatever it may be. Did that sort of help you on a sort of a spiritual journey as well? Well, Joe, yes, is the short answer. But what happened was a fella, a great man by Bob Slayer, he rang me and said, do you want to do the Edinburgh show this year? I said, I don't have a show. And he goes, come on, don't be a chicken, do it. You've got two months to write a show. And I said, okay, what'll I call it? And he goes, you've got one hour to decide. Basically, somebody had pulled out and he was filling the slot. And I went, Jesus versus Buddha, because he was a bit overweight and bald and I had long hair at the time and looked like Jesus. And we laughed and we put the name down and it was too late. I was in. I needed a show. So I started reading about you. I know we'd learned about religion in school. I'd learned, I knew a bit about Jesus, but I read all the books. And then I I was going to compare them. I was going to make jokes. But as I studied more and I started, I stopped drinking, I started meditating every day and I really got into it. And I realized I had to treat this with the sacredness that it is because what they shared with humanity is ultimately the same answer, that the answer is within you. The truth is within. God is within you. You are a God. You're your own God. That's the ultimate liberation, freedom from pain and suffering. You can realize that yourself. Every single one of us can free ourselves from our own insanity, our own fear at any moment. And I, and I get that on an intellectual level, but sometimes I have experienced it. So yes, that show helped me, but that wasn't my intention. I was lucky. Uh, the path came to it, me. It all lands in certain ways. Like I did a TEDx talk on becoming consciously did. aware. And that was, and it was before COVID and lockdown. And I now realize the meaning of it now more than before, because none of that matters outside. It really matters what what's going on inside yeah. here. One of the other things is re- reading a book today, and it's about our imagination. One of the things that's in the book is, is saying, you know, things out there will trigger us. And only when those things trigger us and you realize that that is a trigger, and then being able to express why that person has come to you as, the, you know, that messenger for the trigger. When you sort of get to all that and release it, everything as an experience, your karma then sort of vanishes. And then you get closer and closer to, as you said, to being the one connected with inside with divine. The chapter on it that I'm reading, is, it's funny, it's imagination and it's about triggers as well, which is 
it's quite unusual because of the conversation then that we're going to have. So <laughs> everything well, is divine timing. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, that's what you're saying. You're basically saying it there, turn an enemy into a friend. I mean, that's it. And and one level you can get that. Okay, they're my enemy. I'll make them the friend. But on a different level, if you see exactly what you just said, you don't see them as an enemy. You go, okay, this person's here to teach me a lesson. They stole from me. They stole my business. But they're not the enemy. I needed to learn how not to get triggered with losing money because it's 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 just passing it's just money it's just yeah. you know it's with the craziness that's going on in the world at the moment what craziness you know this you know lay for the bus down in Dunleary you know? <laughs> um with the craziness that's going on everybody's getting triggered by certain things and you know it's there's a huge emotional roller coaster being unearthed in every person around the country uh good or bad right or wrong it's making us all sort of stop and have that little bit more of for me personally it's it's more lateral thinking it's not accepting everything for face value and try to understand what what is it that's that's i will get out of this as as a as a person you know as from my family and it's reminded me to be that sort of sovereign hu- human being as well. I'm learning a lot. I've learned more over probably the last year about myself and I'm still learning than I have in the last, you know, 50 years. That's beautiful. So therefore, this invisible enemy that they talk about has helped you, uh, the regulations from it has helped you ask questions of yourself. Who am I and how do I react yeah. to this? Yeah, I'm in a similar boat show. I, I've been, I've had a, a lot going on since it. You know, I've lost my um, business. I lost my career. Um, I broke up with my partner uh, and all that stuff seemed like a, a shedding. And I don't mean that in any bad way towards her as in just we weren't meant to be together at that time. Now I'm mentally, physically, spiritually, I'm more awake. You know, I, I, I can s- connect to what's going on and not, not really mind. You know, intuition. Be, Your intuition you know, gets in heightened. That's what I'm finding. It's, it's understanding and recognizing when something is said or done or that intuition comes in, going, okay, and following it. And small things will be provided for you to test that, to build that muscle. Say intuition is a muscle to build that. So it gets stronger and stronger because you will need that more and more as, as life goes on. Joe, there's a bit of a Buddha about you. You must be doing some meditation. You've got a nice calm glow. Yeah, Joe Dalton, Buddha. Joe Buddha. Well, no, I look this show that everyone knows that listen to it. There's a a spiritual element to it, and you know, my my journey started twenty odd years ago um, from an atheist. You know, not believe until stay away from them. Yeah, trouble. Curiosity and curiosity, and like you in my twenties, I you know the big fast cars and you know the the cash and everything and all working abroad (laughs) and. <laughs> then went down that path but there's one thing i think that we'll all get from this is the closer you go to darkness the more that your spiritual enlightenment grows that's where i what i've learned and i've i've gone down some roads here within Joe, the show or doesn't or doesn't or doesn't yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but that's choice that's choice on it but look you're traveling all over europe up to cova doing wonderful things making people laugh and there's one thing that i say is you know we the joy the happiness the belly laughter has been taken away and 
you know, we're all living in our little pods. Everyone, you know, switches off from the computer and then they go into the kitchen and make their tea. But we are illusional. The other person is off meeting people. We have this psyche <laughs> that we think everyone else is meeting, but it's only me in this pod. And you're, you went abroad, you've worked on a play you, and you were bringing it back home to Ireland. Um, let's, let's start there. Let's start there. You, you went to the Netherlands um, to help yourself design or write a play. And before that, you did another play as well. Was that on the banking crisis as well? And did that inspire you to do the, the next play? I wouldn't call them plays as such. The other ones were called comedy shows. They okay. call them a comedy hour, an hour special is what they call them in our world. And I've done a bunch of them. I don't even remember. Probably seven. I think there's three or four recorded online. You're welcome to watch them. Jesus Buddha is the best one. Jesus versus Buddha, Aidan Killian. It's a nice one. You like some of it. You might not like some of it too. But overall, it's a decent show. The last one I did was, I think, two years ago. But I've been focusing on business since then. And I had a comedy club in Singapore. And I had a comedy festival in Asia. A big one in 10 countries. And I'd come back to Ireland, set up some shows with Arlo Hanlon, our uh, beloved comedian there from Father Ted and whatnot. And Reginald D. Hunter was coming over from the UK and I sold, sold out some shows in a number of venues around Ireland. And then this COVID thing kicked in. So after a few months of everybody wearing masks and being depressed and, you know, worrying, I said, here, I don't really like this. So I had an opportunity because I had no business. I had no business left. So I had an opportunity to go to Amsterdam to do the storytelling course. And it's incredible. I've always wanted to do it, but never had time. The Mesrab Storytelling, School of Storytelling. And I went over there and I know one of the teachers well. He's a wonderful performer. And I spent the last six months working on a show. It's a one-man show. I suppose you could call it a theatre show, but it's a one-man storytelling show. And it's about visiting my grandmother in the home, which is the last, I was, I was only allowed to visit her once over the last year because of the situation. And her telling me Irish mythology stories in that experience, the stories of Balor and Lou, which I think echo what's going on today. Whereas Lou, the great warrior of light, the sovereign king, and uh, the, the master of all arts, he looked Balor straight in the eye, you know, the Balor of the evil eye, and he looked and wasn't afraid. Or if he was afraid, he didn't show it. And he stood there and he faced his fear. And ultimately, after a big saga story, he beat him. Balor fell down and the people of Ireland were free. I mean, that's an hour, it's an hour long story, but that's the, uh, the beauty of it. And I think right now we all need to look at that. Now, whether that's the fear externally, you know, and decide on how you're going to react to the situation or act in the situation, or whether it's the fear within, now's an opportunity to face yourself. You know, you're all going to have to die. So why not look now? How do you live well under these circumstances? talking about what we just spoke about previously you know that journey and everything and everything that comes upon us for a reason at that time you know whatever it is and you you know speaking to your granny and telling you these stories and kind of gone you know if she had told you these they wouldn't have mattered or she probably would have never told you them a year a couple of years ago but it was at that point that they were told the significance of what they have in today's world well, there's real beauty in it, you know, because in times of great fear and suffering, it's important to remember our, our heroes, the courage of our heroes. But it's also important not to become our own enemy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, my granny's very wise and I grew up with her. I was very lucky to have her great woman from Cork. She's 96 now. She's struggling at the moment, you know, because I think her time is nearing an end, if you believe in time and ends. <laughs> but she she, um, she still has, I mean, certainly when I saw her last, she had a lot of wisdom, but that was a few months ago. Now it's, uh, you know, it's hard to have a, she can't find it hard to hold the phone up these days, but. She's, so she's putting all the checks and balances in place before she yeah. transports <laughs> her energy to a new realm. That's it. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So actually, yeah. actually, Joe, you know what? It was, she was 96 yesterday and I was meant to be. I booked my flight a week before to be home because I promised I'd be back there for her birthday and wasn't able to get back for it. You know? Well, that brings up the next question. You decided to, you know, I want to come home. Uh, I want to see my, my your see sure, your nan. Sure. You left. Oh, yeah. You left the Netherlands. What happened? What what happened? What, what happened, happened yeah. was I got on. I had booked the flight. I probably shouldn't say the name of the airline, but a well-known airline in Ireland that's been yeah. around for decades. <laughs> and I booked the flight, and I got there and handed my passport and my ticket. And the lovely lady said, "Where is your PCR test?" And I said, "Oh, I haven't got one of those." And she said, well, you need one of those now, you know, to travel. And I said, well, is that, uh, is that the law? And she said, oh, yeah, you need that. It's, that's the law. And I said, what do you mean it's the law? I don't understand. Could you show me the exact wording of the law? And she said, well, they've been told by immigration not to let me. And I said, okay, well, if it's a problem with immigration, let me deal with that when I get home. I'll deal with the immigration. If they want to lock me up or put me in prison or threaten me or quarantine me or whatever I can deal with it there in a court of law because I know that we do have rights to travel we have the universal declaration of human rights article 13 1 and 2 um, the, the constitution the European declaration of human rights you can't stop people travelling I mean sure that's what Gandhi got, got Gandhi started you can't just make people have bits of paper and you can say she said oh, am I aware of the pandemic I said, I'm aware there's a lot of people terrified out there, but I'm also aware that the numbers, uh, the debt numbers in 2020 didn't seem to be any more significant than any other year from the information on the government websites, you know. But either way, it doesn't really matter what any of us believe. You know, I, you could believe, I could believe that there's a rabbit in your house, but we don't know that there is. The only thing that matters is the truth. And the truth is I do have a right to travel. And now I've been denied that right. And I was quite annoyed about it. So she wouldn't let me on. So what I did is I, I put my bag and a bicycle, I had a bicycle with me, put it in the taxi back to my friend's house. And then I went through security right up to the plane, the boarding area. And I nearly got on. I passed it and everything. But then she saw me and she goes, you, where's your PCR test? And we started again. I got chatting to the women and they were just nice people. I'd be friends with them under different circumstances. I recorded some of it now and I'd let them know I was recording it. And one of them, she said, you know what? We became quite friendly. It's like turning an enemy into a friend. At the start, she was very angry. And then she calmed down when she realized, I'm not attacking you. I'm not shouting at you. I'm just a man. You're just a woman. You're in an unfair situation. You've been told what you have to do. And if you don't do it, you could lose your job. I understand that. But I also understand that I do have rights. And I said the rights. And I said, I need to hold someone accountable. You know, I needed your, your supervisor's name or whoever's making the decision. And at the end of it, she, she expressed her concerns about her son. He said her son won't travel anymore. And the other one said, she, you know, she was hoping to get pregnant. She was afraid of getting any of these uh, vaccine or gene therapy or whatever it is. So we had a, a good chat. But at the end of the day, I couldn't get on the plane. Yeah. So I went back. 
with my bags, stayed in Amsterdam for a few days and said, you know what? I'll get the boat, which is what most people tell me to do when they meet me. Get the boat. <laughs> and I went off to the Cherbourg, got a 10-hour train ride, two trains, ended up in Cherbourg. And that was a week ago. Tried to get the boat and I had a similar situation, except they were very, very rude in that particular company, which I'll come back to. I'm dealing with the PR communications manager at the moment. And I mentioned human rights, mentioned the Nuremberg, Nuremberg Principle 4, and they laughed at me, which I have recorded as well. And uh, so I tried another few days and then I found, uh, went to another company. They rejected me. Super polite. So all the time I remained calm. I just said, I do have the rights. Do I not? So the question is, Joe, who's responsible for not letting me exercise my inalienable right to travel home? Where do, where do you go with that? Two questions that's coming up. You know, most people listening to this would say it's only a, a PCR test. You know, it's, it's only a test. Why wouldn't you just get the test and get home? What would that's you say to those people? I think that's a very good question. And I think I understand that. And I asked myself that too. I said, why don't you just do it, Aiden? And the truth is I've had it before. You know, I've had COVID. I have the antibodies, if you must know. But I think that's kind of by and by. The fact is I do have the right and I'm exercising the right. I don't think you can force somebody or coerce somebody to take medical treatment and they want to stick something in one of my orifices which is degrading and i don't like it you know uh, i've had it before i felt very uncomfortable with it it goes right up into the brain cavity the swab and it's unnecessary it's only a matter of time before people realize how absurd this is if you want my dna i'll spit in a tissue you know it'll take 10 seconds but you don't need to risk my health with this unnecessary unwarranted procedure which i don't consent to so when other people say oh it's going to be the best it's not the best it's what are you talking about what do you know about this test what did the inventor Kerry Car- mullis say about this test i mean what happens if it cycles over 60 if the cycles are under 35 i've looked into it and because i've got some knowledge on it i'm not getting it do i know it's going to kill me no looking online and you know, talking to people, they said, you know, when you're digging for gold, if you look hard enough, you'll find it. (laughs) Eventually. Eventually, yeah. And we know that the cycle has been amplified. So we believe it's been amplified and it's been reduced now. The the cycle is being reduced. Um, And when something is being reduced, it means then less cases will will be picked up. Do you feel you're taking a stance... Um, you're taking the stance because you said earlier on you worked in Hong Kong for a while. Would that would that be correct? I, have, I mainly worked in Tokyo, um, but I've worked in I've worked all over Asia. Okay, yeah, yeah. But you know the issue that's going on in Hong Kong there as well, and there's you know there's that degree of rules, rules, and yeah. in Asia yeah. there can be a lot of rules. Do you think some of that sort of rubbed off in you to kind of go, you know? I'm taking a bit of a, a stance here. Well, I never asked that question, Joe. That, no one's ever asked me that before. That is a very, very wise question. I'd say it has, yeah. I've seen what goes on in Singapore and I've seen people living a certain way. And I'm not saying it's all bad. I love, I love a lot of people in Singapore, but you follow the rules and you don't question it. Or in Thailand, it doesn't matter if a student, you, you never question authority at all, your teacher regardless and it's it creates this society where they 
can't think at all for themselves. And it's really evident when you go there. And of course, they're human beings. So don't anybody get upset and go, I'm saying a human's less than another human. Don't be ridiculous. That's absurd. Of course, we all have the same um, soul or the same ability and the same capacity in our mind. We have one. The training they have has left them very subservient. And as an Irishman, as an Irish person who grew up with storytelling and people playing fiddles and, you know, people doing poems in a bar or somebody having the crack or hugging, you know, I grew up with this, I grew up with and there's the, all the, the madness of the Irish person. You don't know what they're going to do next, the crack, as we're used to. It doesn't sit well with me to see what's over in China and other countries seeming to be coming this way with more control and more cameras and more, you know, fear. You've got to do this or else. It's more state control. In China, it's state over religion. You know, it, it's funny thing. for just for, for our American audience that tuned into this show as well. Crack is not the drug. <laughs> it's the Irish saying of laughter and joy and having fun. So we don't do crack. We, we don't do we, crack. We don't do crack in that town. <laughs> Despite we, how my it. face appears. <laughs> fun. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Since this has all happened, in the beginning, everybody was fearful. You know, myself personally was, oh my God, is this disease going to wipe us out? So I kind of went, okay, let's all lock the doors. Let's, you know, get behind and monitor <laughs> what's going on. And it was flattened the curve. And as things went on, I, I've said this in the very beginning. And, you know, anyone that listens to the show, I've always said the data will never lie. We don't know what's happening. You know, we, we can make decisions and people can be mm. forgiven right. for making decisions because they're not aware of what's going on and we can only do our Absolutely. best. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But as the data comes on, we can then look at it and make proper decisions, not out of fear, but out of moving an economy. That's where I my belief system is. And I've sort of personally myself have seen, you know, next week, next week next week and when yeah. when i say to you just next two week, weeks just to flatten the curve just, when I, just, just when I say weeks. To you next week it's ah oh, oh, look i won't not going to do any hassle here it's only next week and then next week comes along go what's going on says i'm going to get that for you now uh next week ah oh, well and it rolls on when that's happening there's a huge divide and it's divide of fear you know anxiety there's people out there who are terrified and there's people out there that are not and there's this huge big bubbling cesspit and everybody seems to be focusing on COVID and lockdown. But behind it is bankruptcy, you know, um, depression. Look at this, look at the stats online of, you know, um, house, you know, sexual violence on children, on women, on men. There's, you know, the homeless people in Dublin, walk around Dublin now, there's more tents out there. There's places where they can't have the facility to wash themselves during the day. All the toilets are closed, all this. There's just just big bubbling elephant in the room that everyone is just turning their back on and going COVID. You know, poverty, we are bust, we are broke. And poverty is going to do more damage than this. And if anyone is listening to this show and they're going, oh, they're giving out about this. There is people in this country at the moment because of lockdown that cannot put food on the table to feed their families. And just sit with that. 
Joe, when I, after the austerity, I was doing gigs around the country and I met a vicar, first vicar I ever met. And he said to me, just what you said, he said, in every single town in this country, somebody has killed themselves. Mm. And it's not getting in the media. And I know that. I know people. I know someone has tried to kill themselves recently. I know someone else has killed themselves. It's too much. People can't take it. And that's not, you know, we don't see those figures too often. They probably go down as COVID deaths anyway. I think this is all going to come out. You know, I believe this year is the year of disclosure. This is all going to come out. We're learning. We're understanding about how everything functions because we were so happy and content about passing that baton onto people and letting them do it so we could just work in our own little environment. And I think what everyone is doing is kind of going, okay, we passed this baton, but do you know, no, now but, we're questioning, did, well, did they grip it right? Well, that's know? why I'm doing it, Joe, because I don't believe that the bankers or the church or any pillars of society or the politicians are, I don't think that any of them are the doctors. I don't think they're going to save us. I think we need to save ourselves. And it goes back to that word sovereignty. I think that we need to take action into our own hands. Now I can't do very much. I can't, you know, my family, you know, go along with all this stuff, less so now, but they certainly did, you know, not that long ago, they were arguing with me about it. Now they're not. Now they started to see things differently. Most people are starting to see things differently as far as I can see. But, I have an opportunity here. Of course, I could forge a document and get home. I could do that. It's very easy to do that. But that would be dishonorable, right? And I am an honorable man. I'm a man of truth and fact and honor. And I'm an Irish man with an Irish passport holder, one of the free Irish sovereign men of Ireland. And I have a right to be in my own country. So if that right's being, if somebody's trying to stop that right, I want to hold them accountable. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I'm going all of the way with this. I want to go to the courts. I want anybody who stopped me, the company, the people at the desk, uh, the, the, the politician, the minister of not health, uh, transport, I believe, Simon Coveney, uh, all of them, the ambassador. Uh, here's the three questions. Can I just read these out to you? The three questions I asked the ambassador and see what you think. So you got on to I the embassy. The, I got on to the embassy okay. when after, after running out of options. Uh, when I got rejected from the boat in Sherberg and they said they'd look into it. Then they got back to me and said, you have to have the PCR test. I said, I can't do that for health reasons. And I have impertinent and really important family business to attend it. And according to the constitution, constitution article 41.1, the family have an alienable rights above all legislation. So, and I made that very clear and calmly on the phone. And I said, listen, I've written you an email. I've given you all my documentation. Would you, will you respond to me? And she said that she would. Now, she did not respond. And then I followed up with a, a strong email. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll just read the three questions that I asked because I think they're important. I think they're pertinent. One, under what law are you aiding and abetting third parties in denying an Irish citizen their right to return home? Two, on what grounds are you patently refusing to uphold the Irish constitution? And three, under what law do you support the coercion of Irish citizen to undergo a medical treatment procedure with fragrant disregard for the Nuremberg Code? Now, I can see why she didn't answer those questions, because ultimately she's allowing something that's unlawful. And that's not right. It's not only is it outside the jurisdiction of the law, but it's, it's wrong. You know, I could be, I'm lucky I have people supporting me. 
but I could be hungry here. What about a student? What about an elderly person? What about someone in need? What about a real victim who is stuck here? For me, I'm fine. You know, I can get someone to sell me home. I can talk to a fisherman. I can find a way home. I'll find a way home. I promise you that, right? With or without the help from the state. But what I won't do is allow anybody to stick anything in any of my orifices. I'm a healthy man. I'm going to stay healthy. I look after my health and nobody's going to do a test on me without my consent. But what about the other people who are stuck? And there's people, by the way, Joe, Norway, Portugal, a family in France, a young lady with two kids. They've all contacted me. A, a woman, a half English, half German woman contacted me. There's people all over the world right now who can't get home because they won't be coerced or forced into taking unnecessary tests. And regardless of your belief of it being the save, you know, whether it saves you, it doesn't mean that it's right. Some people will say, well, you know, if you you don't have the test and you have, you know, COVID and then you, you know, you, you bring it into the country and, you know, on the plane or whatever. And, you know, that that then is affecting other people to be locked down for a couple of months or so. What would you say to that person? Well, I'd say I'd say, you know, if somebody attacks me with a weapon, I'd say, hold on to that. You keep that weapon to yourself. I don't want to fight you. And if you attack me with fear, I'd say, that's your fear. You need to deal with that. That's got nothing to do with me. Either I have harmed somebody or I have not. So if the truth is I have harmed somebody, let that person who's the victim because of my cause, my actions, let them come to me and we deal with it in a court of law. But don't make up something in your head. There's a possibility you could do something and therefore you have to imprison yourself. Healthy people getting tests or healthy people getting imprisoned, that's insanity. And what passes as sanity in Ireland right now sends shivers down the spines of the rest of the conscious beings on the planet. So I'd say to them, listen, if you're really afraid, by the way, I have the antibodies. I'm the safest person in the country right now. I've already had it. I've tested positive for it and I'm safe. But that's not the point. I have the rights. And if you're trying to take my rights, you're taking your own rights away. And for what? Who are you trusting? The pharmaceutical companies? Who, who the World Health Organization? Which, which politician do you trust? The huge thing that political and science, there's a political force which I think is not listening to the science you know, in my opinion, trying to maybe push control over over science. Thank God you're in that position. You know, there'd, there'd be a different story for, for me if, you know, stuck in, in France and I would have to come home because I have a wife and I have small children. I would have to probably choose my battles for for a, a different time. Um, a, so you're in that unique position. At this moment in time, you're stranded. Fly that flag. What's the next step? Get solicitors in Dublin or barristers, appeal the courts. You know, where, where does that go? You know, or do we never see you again? Well, I mean, I don't think you'll ever see me again because there's always ways around the system. <laughs> <laughs> there's always ways around the system. I could buy a boat, I could do a Fraser, offer me and, you know, wealthy business people, excuse me, sorry, who agree with the with human rights and the, the importance of human rights. It took us decades to build this stuff. I mean, would it be okay for the for the, for the these companies to refuse people onto their boat or plane if they didn't test positive for TB or for HIV, uh, positive for AIDS or for any other disease? I mean, is it not 
is it not are we not messing with with serious rights there why would anybody have to show their medical history the other element is and i've i've seen some of your you know some of the stuff online and people saying well look these are private companies Right. Okay. But that means that can they refuse people because of the color of their skin, because of their belief, which it is a belief? Can they refuse because of their political views, because of their hair or lack thereof? I mean, they don't have that right. There are discrimination laws, very powerful laws. So no company can, you can't refuse someone because they're, you know, black or red or yellow or, you know, because they've got one arm, you know, you just can't do that. So no, they would refuse, they would be refuse their license to trade for profit if they behave like that. And rightfully so. Freedom to choose. There's where I draw the line. You know, I, I'll admit I wear a mask in the shop. I do. I do it just because, you know, the, of the people that are fearful or stressed. But if I see someone not wearing a mask and then someone giving out to them for not wearing it, I will stand up for that person for their belief and their choice not to wear it. You know, it's the right to choose. And I think that's crucial. And I think the world is evolving, especially in Ireland. I think people are sort of kind of going, you know, there has to be a point where we, we kind of go, I, Joe, I have my I rights. Oh, under no circumstances will I wear a mask ever in Ireland. Yeah, but yeah, Ma- yeah, yeah, maybe I, I, if I got to see my grandmother again, maybe in the home and I'd be compromising and I, I, that would be hard for me. But otherwise, never. There's no tests I'll be taking. and none. I won't wear one outside. That's, you know, if... if That's if, what they're doing in France. There's people else. I see kids running with masks on their faces. Can you imagine the psychological damage of these yeah, children in the yeah, future? I, you Can you know, imagine how they're getting trained for the future? This is what you need to behave like. I mean, the parents are going along with this. The, the one thing that I thank God for children is that they're resilient. They are. And they, you know, kids have had major traumas in their lives and they get over them over a period of time. And that's the God <laughs> gracing that we have. But I think... As we have right. to, as human beings, need to kind of go, you know, I am me, you know, I, I am sovereign. I have the right to choose. And I think possibly that right to choose will be, okay, well, that right to choose will be, go for it. Go for it. But because you choose that, you're not going to travel. Well, it's your choice, but look, I, I agree in your choice. I believe it. You're right. Right. Fair but, enough then, Joe. All I'll say is this, fair enough. That's what's happened, actually. They yeah. said, it's your choice, yeah. but you're not allowed to travel. There's a claim. They're claiming that I don't have the right to travel conditionally unless I take a treatment. And I'm saying, well, I do have a right to travel and you can't coerce me. So let's let the courts decide. Let the actual law decide. And if, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If they've committed crimes, if they've done something unlawful, I want them to be held accountable so it stops happening in the future for everyone else. But the point is you can't go around, even if they don't know the law, it's not their fault. It's not that they're evil or malevolent it's not that they're bad people but they're just doing their job orders are orders uh, principle four the nuremberg code they can still be held accountable so if the law is being broken which it is because i do have a right to ch- travel that's the reality of it and um, then i can help hold them accountable too and once a few of these staff have been held accountable and also the gdpr the general data protection act why are they asking me my private business anyway but that's an, that's another matter if they got fined a certain amount of money, after a while they wouldn't do it anymore because they'd get hurt and they'd, they'd offload it back up to their boss and go, well, hang on a second. I don't want to commit a crime here. I mean, how far are you willing to go? Like if they said you have to like do the China test, not to be vulgar, but there are you know tests now that go down below the belt. You know, yeah. Would yeah. you take those too? 
two mm. of them actually. There's one from behind and one in the front. And I've heard the procedure. It doesn't sound pleasant. But w- would you do that? I mean, where is dignity? What about body integrity? Or yeah, the- so for me, it's it's there is the drawing of the line. There there is that. And I there's an element, what I've noticed is that as I said, that in the beginning I was locked down, right, and I observed, looked at the data. And as things moved on, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm questioning things and my lateral thinking and I'm not no longer taking everything as face value. You can call it awakening. OK, whatever that may be. But I know that there's people out there now where I was six, seven months ago are now awakening mm. last month. Right. Uh-huh. And I, there's people that I spoke to that once they said put the masks on primary children, suggested putting the masks on primary children in schools. Those people said, no, that's their line. You know, someone else's line might need to be pushed a little bit more to say you can only leave your house two hours a day. You know, that might be. So all these measures that are, are that are being pushed are making people wake up. You know, that's yeah. Well, there's yeah. a beauty in that. That's true. That gives us hope because yeah. I mean, did you see the new one there? There's camps in Ireland, but the defense court, the, the army, the defense forces are forcing people to stay in camps. They're doing forced quarantine. They're talking about it now. Imagine me in forced quarantine. First of all, I'd definitely escape, regardless of any threats of fines or threats of imprisonment, because either it's the law or not, and I'm not a criminal. I'm a man of honor, so I will not be imprisoned. And well, I can be if they do it, but I won't consent to it. I'll never sign a locator form. You want me to sign form a contract? Why would I contract with the state, Joe? For what? Unless it's about business. You want me to do business with you? How much? Okay. Oh, let me see. If I don't stay in this place here, you're going to fine me two and a half thousand. Oh, and I can go to prison. Yeah, I'll just sign the bottom line. Are you mad? I'd never sign that. It's not a good deal. It's a bad deal. Here, here's something that was resonating with me the weekend. Okay, if you look at the world and you look at Israel and what's going on in Israel, we know that Israel is really they're sort of doing name and shame, and we know there's the divide. If you do good research online, not we show that there's there's about a fifty percent there, fifty to fifty one percent split, and there's huge big marches going on, and the government is really driving this. And what had dawned on me was that Israel is the first country that's really pushing everything. And I thought of a biblical, to me it's biblical because 2,000 years ago, you know, for those who believe in in Christ, there was, it was the epicenter for what was to change within the world. And all the religions were there in, in, in Israel. And if you go there, there's a high vibration. And, you know, people I spoke to, they said, you can really feel the essence there. And I'm kind of going, what's going on there now with what's going on in the world? Is that the new epicenter to see how things manifest right across the globe? And that's, I'm sort of pondering with that at the moment. And I'm sitting with it and I'm observing it to see, is there a biblical reference going on in, in Israel? Well, I mean, it's interesting you say it. I never thought about that, but I, I feel like it's more like a cult, what's going on. I can't relate it to Israel because I don't know very much about it. But if, yeah, if we're starting a new religion, this is the new religion. Your the mask Romans is your holy to, community. The, the Romans used to put masks on slaves. There's a lot going on. And they say the Egyptians used to yeah, stick things up the slaves' noses. Did you see that? No, no. no. No, slaves no. got prodded up the nose. Got the nose on it. But luckily, luckily for us, we have the freedom to choose. I have the freedom to choose. And yeah, they have the freedom to choose to reject me. And I have the freedom to choose to push it further. Where do you think it's going? To, what's the well, next step? I've reached out to um, 
Alliance, Freedom Airways Alliance, Freedom Travel Alliance, um, and they've been helping me. I don't have a solid plan at the moment to get home. I believe that I will get home. If I really am stuck here, I'll stay and until until the people of Ireland you know, welcome me back, until uh, we can find uh, justice and truth and a way around it. And we will. You know, the truth will, as you say, it's the polarities, the darkness and the light, you know, the fear and the courage, uh, the light, you know, we'll get there. I'm sure of it. I'm 100% sure I'm going to get home soon. Joe, I'll see and I'll hug you and I'll lick your face and I'll run around town like and that's the way it is. And there'll be no locator form, so you can come and visit me in prison. I if you visit like. you. Which I won't be going to either. <laughs> I think that there's a new awakening. And I, as I say to people, fear and doubt are a low vibration. And we are sitting in that low vibration. And mm. you need to raise yeah. yourself above that to joy, happiness. And that's just I raising know. your feeling. And when you raise to that, everything else then around you changes. And all that stuff alchemizes and you need to just kind of go, if you're triggered or if something, you know, is, is really upsetting people, you need to just step back and say, let me raise that vibration, raise it on. Let me raise the vibration. Well, there's a real, there's a real freedom in it. Um, Yeah. We're out of time, but I, I, you know, once I'm free, I'm free of the fear of the punishment of the border police or the immigration or them or the rejection. I'm free of it all. I'm out of it. I don't think about it. I'm simply connected to my source within and I'm doing that which is right, and I'm going that path. Because it's not about me. It's our will as one. It's for all of us. And that's it. Like, And there's a lot of support from all over the world, and I know it's right. And I don't care about people's fear. That's your deal. You have to face your own fear. Do it. Look inside yourself. Ask yourself, is it right? Is it making your life and other people's life better? And turn Choice. off the telly. Choice, you can, yeah. You can listen to this radio station, but no others. <laughs> no others. Yeah. Yeah. Positive programming. Some, you write some great blogs, um, you know, and you'll be filling people in when you're writing, you keep, yeah. keep on journaling. The blogs are a lot funnier than this. I do make them funny on my website. And reach out to me on Facebook or come and hug me, but don't bring a mask anywhere near me. Aiden, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, God bless. Take care, Willie. I don't believe in an interventionist God. I know, darling, that you do But if I did, I would kneel down and ask him Not to intervene when it came to Not to touch your hair in your head Leave you as you are If he felt he had to direct you And direct you into my arms Into my arms Oh Lord Into my arms Oh Lord Into my arms Oh Lord into my arms And I don't believe in the existence of angels Looking at you, I wonder if that's true 
I did, I would summon them together. Ask them to watch over you Well, to each burn a candle for you To make bright and clear your path And to walk like Christ in grace and love And guide you into my arms Into my arms, oh Lord Into my arms Into my arms, oh Lord, into my arms. But I believe in love, and I know that you. Remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders, and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit, and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership, and creative culture. You want to reach out to me? It's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week, and take care and look after yourself.